Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 52-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Five-step drop. Zeffo. Lufau wants the deep ball. Lufau will take a shot downfield, and it is handed by Bryce Bubba. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Mustard Tiger, publisher of buffstampede.com, with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin, fresh back from Ann Arbor. Tyler, how are you? I don't know if fresh is the proper term, <laughs> but I am back. It was an awesome trip. Um, Ann Arbor is a really cool college town. I would recommend the trip to anybody for sure. I'm sure it was amplified by the fact that there was – I don't know if you could tell on TV because the stadium is obviously huge. There were so many fans there. Everywhere you went, every bar we went into, there was 50-plus in the bar, sang the fight song in probably 20 different bars around town. It was pretty cool. I, I couldn't decide if Michigan fans are just way too nice or if they were just legitimately impressed by our partying ability because they were like, wow, you got there's a lot of you out here. So it was a lot of fun. I would say at least 5,000. It's hard to say, though, because they kind of spread you around the stadium. But there are people all over Ann Arbor. How quiet was it early in that football game in the big house? <laughs> it was pretty quiet, for sure, especially the 21-7, because you know, we got that pump blocked and they scored. And they're like, all right, we woke up. We're going to yeah. come back. And we just marched right down the field and scored on them again. And everyone was just kind of like, uh, this team is pretty good. We are going to have to get some work done. And, of course, we then punted it off our own linemen, so that was fun. But, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Honestly, that it was a, a huge crowd. The atmosphere was not, not the best I've seen. Like, they're kind of low-key, I guess, overall. But we were in a nicer section. We were, like, the 20-yard line, row nine. And everybody was super nice the whole time, so that was great. But, yeah, it wasn't as rowdy of, as an atmosphere as I've seen before. We shared our thoughts, Patrick Godosi and I, after the game. Just kind of curious what what you felt like leaving that stadium after the game in terms of your takeaways from the Buffs' performance. I felt like we competed when we were healthy. Uh, I mean, we made a lot of mistakes. You can look at it one of two ways and say we were still in the game despite that fact. Uh, obviously, the special teams is what I'm referring to. Or you can say we, you know, chewed off our own foot, however you want to look at it. I prefer to, I prefer to look at it in a positive way and say that, I was up close and personal, right behind the Michigan bench. We belonged, uh, especially defensively. You could tell their offense was really struggling to get something going. They ran a lot of trick plays, a lot of end arounds, um, used their linemen out in space, using their size to finally get a few plays. Um, giving up that touchdown at the end of the first half was huge. Can't allow that. Um, besides that, I mean, I thought we looked really good, honestly. Once Cepho goes down, you could tell right away we just didn't have the horses to – um, close the deal. Um, I thought the play calling at that point was a little bit questionable. They really kind of um, handcuffed Steven Montez, didn't allow him to make some plays after the George Frazier drop. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, all, all in all, I was overall really impressed with how he performed. Um, it was a close game. I think most people would have said if Cepho couldn't play the second half and we gave up basically 21 points on special teams, the game would have been 50-10. to 10. So, to me, I, I was pretty happy with it overall. I feel better about our bowl chances now than I did the week before. Patrick and I both gushed over Jabril Peppers yeah. in our post-game show, of course. And this is no disrespect to Christian McCaffrey, but Christian McCaffrey doesn't play on defense. Is Jabril Peppers the best player in college football? I would I would still say Christian is the best, having watched both of them live in the last year. Jabril is a beast, though. I mean, it was it was fun to watch him. You could tell, by the way, he was introduced how um, how how much the Michigan fan base loves Jabril. 
he had a huge introduction leading up to the game uh, in, in when they announced the starters. He is all over the field, huge impact guy defensively, um, but he doesn't really play offense that much. Um, I mean, he had a couple plays offensively, didn't have huge um, impact in that regard. Uh, obviously, special teams, he almost broke one a couple times and eventually did break one. He's a special player. Uh, I, I don't know what he has to do to be a top-five pick in the NFL, but you would think it would be a lock. He's got the size, one of the fastest guys on the field. He's a beast. Last week, leading up to the Michigan game, Mike McIntyre was asked about Jabril Peppers and like how much do you have to pay attention to him, and he made the comment that, no, you just run your offense, you do what you do. I would think in if he could go back and change that a little bit, he definitely would. Yeah, we definitely went wide side to him way too many times, and he was the guy who made a play. I mean, you could see like every single other person was blocked, and if it wasn't Jabril Peppers, it would have been a solid play. But you're basically just playing right into Jabril's hands, going side to side. Um, I thought, honestly, they overthought the special teams. The one time that they let him just punt it like he normally can, it was a fair catch, and that was that. You kind of just have to trust him to hit the ball well. We were just basically rolling out and hitting line drives right into him the whole game. It's not going to work out. Yeah. And, of course, we saw how it did work out, and it was pretty poor. This is not meant to be some type of excuse. There is no excuse for how the punt team played. It definitely was a snowball effect type of thing. I think it definitely got into their psyche, and, yeah. again, they just kind of panicked in that environment also. And it's kind of like a shark that smells blood in the water. Michigan, after that first one, you know, they had yeah. the mojo going. Uh-uh. Yeah, I mean, they had two delayed game penalties as well. <laughs> That's a, st- a one after an incomplete pass. <laughs> like, what are you guys doing? It's not, I don't know, it was it was pretty bad. Hopefully they can get that squared away because that was definitely the biggest negative um, on the game. But, again, I think they just, like you said, panicked. They should have just stayed with their normal pump formation. Would have worked out better than anything they tried. Yeah, I don't try to get too dramatic with my writing, but I had to use the dumpster fire yeah. uh, analogy for, for that unit, for sure. So you're going to share some great stories, I know, on your next free ball and <laughs> podcast. I know you guys are taking a week off. Uh, you'll, you'll give us the R-rated version of, of your trip. Do you have any uh, <laughs> PG-13 story you can share with us? Uh, I don't know if I have any PG-13 stories. <laughs> we, did go, we did go to Zingerman's, which is awesome. as a famous deli out there. We waited two hours in line. Totally worth it. There was like 400 bus fans in there. It was crazy. Like, we were sort of walking through and over. This is uh, Friday morning. So we're like, where is everybody? There was no one around. It was like noon. All of a sudden, we walk into Zingerman's, and there's 400 people in line. We're like, oh, the whole town is here. So that made a lot of sense. Um, I don't know. Game day was awesome. It rained really hard leading up to the game. So a lot of us were just drenched. But we, we were at this tailgate um, right next to the stadium, basically, one street over and we just, they apparently just parked in this guy's front yard and just took over the whole entire street. So that was pretty awesome. I won't give the gory details of what happened at the tailgate, but just overall us just like, they're like Michigan fans going to the game, having to weave through all the CU fans. And I was like, yeah, you, have to, you can't even go in a straight line in your own town. <laughs> That's good so stuff. It was fun. We had a blast. Obviously, as we start to kind of shift the focus to the Oregon game, the main topic there is Cephal Lufau and his health. I'm going to play audio of Mike McIntyre talking about Cepho following Wednesday's practice. Wednesday is the last media availability we have with both McIntyre and the players. And so this is basically the last you're going to hear about Lufau until kickoff because, well, I guess Warmless will kind of know, but they're not planning to make any announcements. So this is kind of the, the last official word on Cepho from the head coach. Well, Coach, the, uh, the daily question, how is Cepho doing today? Uh, he was better than he was yesterday um, and moved around better. And, um, so I think he liked to take job on his ankle better today. So we'll see. Just, it's a day-to-day to see how it keeps going. But he moved around better today than he did yesterday. I know you said the game time decision yesterday, but yeah. as, as the week's going on and it keeps getting better, are you encouraged that he might play this weekend? Yeah, I am encouraged. Um, I am encouraged, but it's still going to be a game time. You never know how it'll recover after the night for tomorrow. Every day it's made a little bit of progress. It, was it diagnosed as just like a regular ankle sprain? Did he avoid that, you know, the high ankle sprain? Uh, it's kind of in between the two, to be honest with you. Okay. It's not all the way up, and it's a little. So it's a. He's got a, you know, he's got a good ankle sprain, but you know, he's pretty dang tough. So we'll just see. Who's taking uh, the rest of those first team rounds? Is it still Steven? Um, you know, Steven and, and um, uh, has been taking those and um, and Cepho and all that. So. Has Cepho practiced some? 
He's practiced a little bit, yes. Okay. Did the last two days or just today? Um, just today. Yesterday he did a little bit. Today he did move around a little bit more. Okay. He has practiced some. Tyler, if you take Mike McIntyre at face value there, it sounds, I don't know, like 60% chance, 70% chance that Cephal plays this week. But there's also the chance that he's saying certain things so that Oregon is having to spend extra time preparing for Cepho. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he doesn't really know either, honestly. It sounds like the injury is not as severe as we thought, which is a great sign. Um, I would say he will have to see how he progresses over the next few days. But if he does stay out this week, it seems pretty overall likely that he'll play against Oregon State, which is huge for us because that's a game you need to have at home. Um, kind of get your conference off to the right start, get a get a win early in the year to boost your confidence in, confidence in conference play. So um, we'll see about this weekend. We don't really know. Um, I guess I would lean to him probably sitting it out right now just to be safe. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot higher chance of him playing than we thought when we saw the injury. It did not look good, especially being there live. He was struggling to even put weight on it at all. So um, if he plays, that's huge for us, obviously. Every week on BuffStampede.com, we do the predictions thread on there. It's fun just for people to kind of go on the record with their pick. I have a feeling, and I'm not even going to ask for this, but I have a feeling a lot of people unprompted are going to have one score prediction if Cepho plays and another score yeah. prediction if he doesn't. Do the Buffs' hopes for a win in Eugene rely so, like, basically on whether or not Cepho plays? Um, I wouldn't say solely, but it, the odds are much improved. I mean, if he plays, we're covering the spread. I feel pretty much 100% confident in that. Um, if he doesn't, a lot, it could go a lot of ways. I mean, Montez could get a, get a rhythm and be really comfortable, and it could, we could look great. Or he could really struggle, and you got to be able to score points against that defense because they're going to score points on you. So I, there, there's a lot more variable if Montez plays. I feel a lot more confident in Cepho does. I would... And Steven Montez, if he plays this Saturday, I'm making a guarantee here. And this is not going on a much of a limb. He will play better than he did in the big house. That's yeah, yeah. not yeah. too much of a of a bold prediction there. But it's just tough. Even though he got his feet wet in front of 110,000 fans at the big house, I still think Odson Stadium and how intimidating that environment is, maybe the most intimidating environment in the Pac-12, is what's going to make it hard for him to actually lead a Colorado team to a victory. If this game was being played in Folsom Field, I feel a lot more confident about what Montez might be able to do in this game, just kind of having the back, backing of the home crowd. Yeah, I would say he'll be better than Gerke was when he had to play at Oregon. So, um, you know, I hope people aren't like, put him, put Gerke in. Oh, Montez, we've, we've, given we've, seen, that, we've I, seen that movie already, right? I, that's what I mean. Yeah. So it's just like, come on, guys. Like, I'm sorry that he didn't play like Sefa Lufau as a senior when he got thrown into the game in the third quarter. Like, what do you, I don't know what you want. Yeah. Well, Jay McIntyre has a 217 quarterback rating. Yeah, man. He's a beast. Of course. Oh, the guy behind me. I can tell this story. The guy behind me. Uh, we, so that was like one of the first plays of the game. Maybe even the first play of the game, right? When they got the ball after we went, they went four and out. Um, he's just like, oh, you guys are desperate. Running trick plays this early in the game. Next play, 50-yard touchdown. And I was like, oh, I didn't need any trick plays on that one, did they, bud? <laughs> and he just turned, he just looks at me and he goes, <laughs> and then they ran a trick play like the third play of the next drive. So we had a lot of fun with that going back and forth throughout the game. He was a cool guy, though. <laughs> That's funny. Usually going out to Eugene, you're shaking in your boots a little bit. You know, This Oregon yeah. team was like a well-oiled machine there for a while, and they're still really good. I still think they're a borderline top 25 team. But they're not the f- best team in the North. They're not the second best team in the North. Yeah. I think probably the third best team in the North. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, Stanford and Washington have certainly looked better than them so far. Um, Washington especially has really impressed me. I kind of felt like they were getting a lot of hype just because their schedule is so weak, which it is, but they they have looked more legit than I expected. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when they start playing, you know, conference opponents every single week, see if they slip up or not. I like Mark Kelfrich when he was the offensive coordinator at Colorado. Just a really nice guy. Like after before and after your interviews, he'd always chit chat with you, and it wasn't a fake thing. It was like a genuine. Like he likes people, and he's really personable. That was it was a really tough situation he walked into, just in terms of filling Chip Kelly's shoes. It's clear though that they've regressed yeah. slowly but surely. 
Should he be feeling some heat up there in Eugene? Absolutely. I mean, to, re- to have to rely on transfer quarterbacks each and every year, it's going to bite you in the ass at some point. So we'll see when that happens. But, yeah, I mean, to have a team with all of the things that they have going for them, still unable to find anybody who can play defense, has got to be concerning for them. I mean, they have talent all over the field. They have athletes all over their roster, and yet they can't stop anybody. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You have to wonder what's going on up there. Um, and, you know, they, they've definitely been regressing. They had the one year they made it to the championship game, but people are kind of surprised that it happened. And I think that they're uh, they're definitely definitely in some trouble overall. I had actually forgotten about the fact that Brady Hoke was hired as their defense coordinator. I remember when they announced that. It was a, wow, I mean, that's quite a hire. Uh, you know, he's got a defensive background, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh that has not obviously shown up in terms of improvement. They're giving up 170 rushing yards per game. Uh, you've got to be able to to move the ball against this this defense, no question. This is going to be even if Montez is in there, you got to score. I don't know, 40, 50 points to win this game, don't you? Yeah, I mean that's you know that's what the benchmark is. You would think. I mean, it's you if you score 30, you can't feel great about your odds. Um, you know, based on how explosive their offense is, I think we got to. I think we got to show that we're a more powerful team. Try to run it up the gut, um, move the clock, shorten the game as much as possible. Because I don't know if we if we have a backup, and I'm not sure how capable we're going to be of <coughs> scoring those 40 or 50 points. So, to me, you just got to churn the ball out, get those four or five yards of play, um, put Montez in a position to be successful if he's out there. Um, short passes, nothing too crazy. Um, use him in the running game. He's going to be really effective there. We saw him have a couple solid runs against Michigan despite his struggles. Uh, I think that's kind of how you have to approach it and see where it goes and hope the secondary uh, holds up against Oregon. Yeah, should be a big day for Philip Lindsay up there in Eugene. I had a chance to talk with the junior tailback at, after practice earlier this week. Here's that interview. Here with Philip Lindsay. Philip, uh, I know you guys are kind of past the point as a program of accepting moral victories. Any positives you guys we're able to take the out of that Michigan game? Yeah, I mean, we, like we said, we started fast. We executed early and stuff. We uh, moved the ball. Um, we just need we just need to stay consistent. That's it. And uh, the big thing about being consistent is getting third downs. We weren't we weren't we weren't good on third downs. Getting third down uh, third down plays. So we need to go back to the drawing board, like I said, and we need to execute. What has it been like practicing out here this week without Cepho Lufau? Uh, what's been kind of the, you know, the mindset of this team, and, and how are you guys moving forward? Mindset's, mindset's the same. It's, it's go in there and try to win the Pac-12 championship. And, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Cepho or Steven Montez, we have to rally around whoever, and we need to get the job done. You know, it's not just one person out there. It's all of us. If we're all working at the same, same time on the same page, Montez is going to be able to have time to throw the ball and get his reads, and we're able to execute. Obviously a tough position with Steven being thrown in there yeah. in front of 110,000 fans. What needs to change from last Saturday to this Saturday to if he is indeed going to yeah. be the quarterback? Uh, we definitely need you know we need to get the running game going, and we need to be physical. We need to be physical. We, like I said, we need to we need to get cut the little little things out. Little things uh, create bigger things later on in the game, which which happens. So we need to execute our blocks and execute the reads. Obviously, it's tough for, for Cepho getting knocked out of that game. What, yeah. What's his attitude been like early this week? Oh, Cepho, Cepho's a warrior. You know, he's been he's been in there trying to get healthy. Uh, he's been there probably about four times already today doing something. So he, he, he his mindset is he wants to play, and that's the mindset you have to have. He, you know, he, he's our leader, and, and no matter if he's playing or not, he's going to be there for us, and he's going to be there by Montez's side, which is, which is uh, what, we, you know, what we need. Oregon's got some injury issues too going on this week. Does that make it easier to kind of put the excuses out the window and not have that uh, as an excuse going out to Eugene? I mean, uh, you know, we both sides of the ball have, you know, injuries and stuff, but that's football. Football, you know, you're going to get injured and stuff, and things are going to change. Oregon's a good football team. No matter what, they're going to go out there and they're going to play fast. So it, it, it doesn't really matter. We have to worry about ourselves. we got to worry about Colorado and playing Colorado football, and that's scoring points and, and let our defense do what they have to do. You're averaging uh, four and a half yards per carry early on the season. How would you kind of assess uh, your play early on? Uh, I, I need to pick my play up, and uh, I need to, you know, uh, I need to make some bigger plays, which uh, I plan to do and stuff. But, you know, you just have to be patient. You know, when your number's called, you go out there and you execute. And uh, for me, I'm more worried about making sure my blocks are pick up. That, that's that's more, you know, more important to me is making sure Montez doesn't doesn't get hit as much, making sure that I pick up my block and, and uh, we as a team pick up our block, blocking assignments. 
you guys talk a lot about the goal being Pac-12 champions. Yeah. Uh, does it kind of feel like a not that you need a fresh light? You're two and one. Things have gone yeah. relatively well, but does it feel kind of like a, a second start here to the season? No, it, it feels like we just need to go out there and execute. You know, nothing, nothing has changed. You know, you, you go out there, you play hard, and we, you know we we didn't come out come up and the, and we wanted to come up in, but that's just, that's just something we have to deal with and we have to move on. It's a new it's a new uh, new day, and now we got to go out there and it's Pac-12 play now, and it's up for grabs, and we need to go out there and we need to go take it. And so that's what we need to go do. We need to handle business. How's uh, Marcus doing down at Denver South this he's, season? He's doing great. You know, uh, I've talked to him, you know, a lot. You know, that's my baby brother, and, and uh, he calls me every day. And he's, uh, he's, he's averaging about 200 yards a game, and he, he's, he's, uh, he's making some noise. He, I'm proud of him. I'm very proud of him. He looks and runs a lot like you. Is that yeah. just, does he try to copy you, or is that just how the Lindsay's, how the Lindsay's roll? That's just how we roll. I mean, he's a lot bigger than me. You know, he's about 205, 206, if, just as fast as me. Um, he's, he, he's just a spin image of me, but I would like to say I, I want him to come up and do, you know, do what he has to do. And, and that's, you know, that's the only thing you can ask for, and I'm proud of him, and I love him. And he just needs to keep doing his thing. Keep doing his thing. He's doing good. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. All right. It. Thank you, man. Always enjoy talking to Philip Lindsay, and uh, he's, you heard there, pretty critical about his performance so far this year. Colorado does rank fifth in the conference. The rushing offense, I don't think, is quite as bad as some people are making it out to be. You have questions, and we have answers. Well, at least these guys think they do. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. Our guy Nippus13 had uh, a little lengthy uh, question slash statement here, so we'll uh, just rattle off what he had to say on the, on the Stampede Elite message board. Are there ever days where quarterbacks take any type of hits at practice on contact days? I feel like Montez needs to learn to take a hit and stay in the pocket a bit more to help his progression. What type of drills would they run to help the contact while throwing to be as much game-like as possible, assuming they do not ever get hit in practice? I am almost wishing for one play in the first quarter to be one where Montez takes a shot and responds with some toughness like it didn't bother him at all. I always feel like this is a big part of a quarterback's development and skill level. Can he step up, take a hit, and repeat? Obviously, I hope his jersey is clean and the Buffs win by 50, but we all know Cepho's jersey would not be white after any game. They definitely don't get full-on hit in any practice. Even in the spring game, they're still off-limits. They do kind of like it what they do in basketball, though. In practice, they'll get those big pads and just wail on you as you're doing different mm -hmm. drills. Certainly, that's not replicating what it's like to get blindsided in the game. There's no way you want to replicate that because you're going to have a lot of injured quarterbacks yeah. if you do that. Yeah, I mean, I think this is what makes Cepho so great is that he is able to take that punishment. It's one of the toughest dudes you'll ever see play football. But you don't really want to test a guy in practice to find out whether or not he has that. Um, we'll find out if Montez does. I think the easiest way for that to happen is to get him into some designed runs. Obviously, you're going to get hit if you're running the football. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Are we questioning his toughness? Like, I, I, we have no reason to do that. I mean, he was, you know, they brought jailhouse blitzes on him, and he's the first time playing college football. Like, of course he's not going to look perfect out there. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, Michigan was big. So just letting him take clean shots on every single play is not the correct strategy. Um, so you can be disappointed in his performance all you want. Just pay attention to the fact as to why it happened. There's excuses all around. Yeah, well, obviously I wish he played better, but there. I mean, when when you have a line that's no longer blocking all that well, and they're just bringing nine guys every single time because they know they can get to the quarterback and th make him throw the ball early, there's only so much you're gonna do. Mike McIntyre has told me that Seth Lufau is the toughest quarterback he's ever coached, and Mike McIntyre's coached in the NFL, so I don't think it's fair to compare any quarterback in terms of toughness necessarily to Seffo. Like you said. You, sh you really shouldn't be questioning Montez and his toughness. What you question is his ability to get the guys on offense to rally around him, which yeah. is tough for a redshirt mm -hmm. freshman stepping into that position. But that's what I think is more important for him going forward if he is going to be the starting quarterback this week and uh, you know, at any point later on in the season. 
that's that's what he needs to work on, not necessarily yeah. taking hits and, and, and bouncing back. Yeah, from I mean, him. I, obviously, you're, they're going to rally around you quicker if George Fraser just doesn't blatantly drop that in the end zone. I mean, if he goes in on his first drive and throws a 50-yard dime for a TD, I think people are feeling a little better about his performance. So, to me, those are the kind of plays that if you want to win at the big house, you have to make, and we didn't do that. So, um, you know, people are just kind of throwing that play under the bus like it didn't happen. But I was 50 feet from that play. It was an absolute dime. You couldn't have put the ball any more perfect if you wanted to. Every single person in my section is like, no! He dropped the thing. God. The whole, that was the, the entire section was just like, yeah, that's a touchdown. Until he dropped it. So, I don't know, dude, man. It's just calm down. It's fine. He's a redshirt freshman. He's not going to have it all figured out. Cepho didn't. Nobody does. CT Buff had a question here. Despite their loss last week, Oregon still moves the ball and scores at an elite level. Their attack looks very balanced so far, averaging 296 yards rushing, 249 yards passing. What does CU need to do to slow them down offensively? Definitely set the edge. Mike McIntyre said after last week they know that Oregon's going to be, and they do anyways, attacking the edge. Uh, so Jimmy Gilbert in Derek McCarty's absence has, has a big game. Uh, I think that's the area, this defense, because aside from that, this defense has been amazing so far this year. Definitely. Um, obviously, DMAC getting injured hurts a lot there. The one guy that I would actually like to see fill that role a little bit more is Afalabi Laguda. I almost picked him for my pick to click this week. He's very physical. If he gets you on the outside, they're going to shy away from some of those plays. If he comes up and lights somebody up, I think he could really be somebody that um, fixes that issue for us. He's not going to get you probably in the back of the line of scrimmage, but if he comes up from that safety position and you know one of those jet sweeps is three yards and he sends you into the bench, they're going to think about running that play again. I think that's somebody that you need someone physical. He's the most physical guy in our secondary. I'd like to see him kind of become into that more of that Jabril Peppers type role where they just send him out as a missile and he's just blowing up plays. I like that. C. Bardeen has a lot on his mind this week. I think he asked about six questions, so <laughs> we'll dive into it here. The first one, heard anything from commits about whether they were encouraged or discouraged by the performance at Michigan? Yeah, there were a bunch of them tweeting out during the game that were they were pretty excited. I, st- I just don't understand how you could be discouraged. Like It literally blows my mind. Like We covered the spread without our starting quarterback for an entire half. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what else you want me to say. We played the number three team in the country with arguably the best defensive player in the country and held our own. Like, why would that be the game that a recruit's like, nah, we don't have it? Yeah. No, they were clearly uh, encouraged. Um, would have been more, obviously more encouraged had they won the game, but they're not going to lose any recruits as a result of battling the Beckhouse. There's no question about that. <laughs> C. Bardeen asked this question as well. Defense played well, but also gave up some big plays running to the edge. That hurt as much as the punt return for TD, including just before half. I've seen this blamed on Gilbert in the injury of McCartney, but Witherspoon seemed to struggle in run support. An inside linebacker also seemed to get caught up in some of those plays. Do you think there is a weakness here that opponents will be able to exploit, and what does you need to do to fix it? We actually kind of already touched on this topic I, I need to go back and rewatch the game. Did you notice Witherspoon? Witherspoon is yeah. not great in run support. We know that. Yeah, he actually did have a huge hit game at one point. I was kind of surprised. Um, he The one guy that I actually noticed was struggling was Rick Gamboa, who actually led the team in tackles. They were eating him alive on crossing screens across the middle. Like There are, four, I think, four third-down conversions they easily got with Jake Butt. How you're not double-covering him in that situation blows my mind. They were basically just trying to let – Gamboa chased him across the middle, and he had no shot. Um, I honestly, I have to watch the game again to see what happened with the screens. The one that I noticed was Christian Shaver's fault, um, but you know, we'll, I'd have to watch them all to really see. I haven't watched the game back. It's hard live, you know, to really see exactly what's going on because you're just praying they make a play. You're not really diagnosing the situation. Um, but to me, Gamboa was the one guy that stood out that was really struggling on those third down situations. But I'd have to watch the game and see what they see what they were doing, see where things got messed up. He mentioned Gilbert. There were definitely a couple plays. You saw him uh, not in the right position or get blocked yeah. out of the play as well. No question, like we said earlier, that's uh, something that the other teams are going to try to pick on until Colorado can, can fix that issue. C. Bardeen, the next question from him. Running game wasn't very effective against Michigan how do you see the running game holding up in the Pac-12 especially if Montez is the quarterback how much do we need to get 
out of the run game to win. Well, the one thing there is that there's some Swiss cheese defenses in this Pac-12. That's going to help. Yeah, Michigan is a top defense in the Pac-12. Their defensive line was absolutely gigantic. Okay, like I said, I was sitting right behind the Michigan bench. Them dudes were big. Okay, so you think our defensive line is big? It wasn't even close. They have three Josh Tupos on their starting defensive line. It was crazy. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, though, I thought our run game was really solid in the first half. Phillip Lindsay had over four yards per carry average in the game. They didn't use him enough. Uh, way too many outside um, off-tackle type of plays where they're just running right into Michigan's defense. you got to go more upfield. That was as simple as that for me. I didn't really hate the run game except for when they had their ears pinned back in the third and fourth quarter, and it's easy to see what's going on. So to me, I, I, again, I'd have to rewatch the game, but I was pretty happy overall with how we ran the ball when we were, when we were healthy. Did you notice uh, Carlo Kemp out there in warm-ups at all? Or? No. Okay. We actually got into the game like, I don't know, maybe like 10 minutes before it started. So we were like already into the Tom Brady ceremony. And okay. uh, we were talking to the guys in the section, just like introducing ourselves because you know, we didn't want to, you know, be total dicks about everything so we were just like trying to start off on the right foot yeah. and actually the, the family in front of us uh four michigan fans two the two like high school age kids that lived in broomfield colorado that flew in for the game too okay so that was kind of cool we talked to them a lot uh but yeah no i didn't see carlo camp out there next one from cbar dean follow talked about stepping in for mccartney his speed could be beneficial but isn't he smaller than gilbert and is the smallest outside linebacker is he big enough to fill that role, or are we going to need Hasselback and Shaver to step up? Follow's not small. I mean, he's definitely not. If Shaver's not small, then Follow's not small. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why we're going to him as a guy who's big enough to do it, but not Follow. But it, it's not a situation where McCartney goes down and Follow is going to be anointed by the coaches as the savior here. They actually, on the depth chart, have a tie between Hasselback, mm-hmm. Shaver. Yeah, uh, Hasselbeck is a guy that I've always liked more than anybody else. I feel like he's a guy that's flashed to me. Um, I like he's obviously small, but he's a little more stout. I think maybe he could hold his ground a little bit better because he's lower to the ground. Um, he has played well from what I've seen so far in games this year. I think I hope they give him a chance because I think he has a guy. He's a guy that has a chance to really step up a little bit more. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> exactly how it works out. I think you're going to see all three of those guys, and they'll kind of go with the one that's been the most effective. I think the Oregon is obviously going to try to key on that position and take advantage of it, so we'll know pretty quick which guy is struggling and which isn't. Last one from C. Bardeen. Addison Gillum hasn't made much of an impact so far. Do you think he could still come around? Is it physical, mental, or does he not fit this defense as well as he did before? And I looked it up. Addison Gillum has... Only played 39 defensive snaps total so far this season. So, yeah, he's not hasn't had a big role. Rick Gamboa, 140 defensive snaps in that role. Um, I think it's a combination of things. I think uh, when you've been beaten down as much as Addison Gillum is, you're just not going to be quite as good as you were. And then um, Jim Levitt loves Rick Gamboa. He struggled last Saturday, but I just don't see Jim Levitt – sidelining Rick Gamboa as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, um, I would have liked to have seen Addison be the guy covering Button a few of those crossing patterns. He's got more speed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Gamboa is the guy that's going to start there. He's really effective in some positions uh, defensively, and he's a liability in others. I mean, I think everybody has that to some degree. Um, he's been better than I expected overall. Uh, but, yeah, Gillum, I mean, we all know how what I've said about him. I don't think he'll ever really be truly back, and I think we're kind of seeing that become a reality at this point but uh 39 snaps does not seem like a lot uh i think maybe they're just trying to bring him back slowly and get him confident that he can stay healthy uh as part of it but i also think he's probably just not going to be that same guy ever again dorn 09 asked why can't our offense seem to break off a long run well you don't necessarily have home run threats in there but again cu ranks fifth in the conference in rushing offense this season i don't think it's quite as big an issue as some people are making it out to now tyler if they don't run for like a couple hundred this Saturday, then I'm going to be a little bit more concerned about their their rushing offense. Yeah, we'll see how it works out. I mean, the home run threat is nice, but I, I feel like people think that happens a lot more than it really does. Like there aren't that many people out there getting 80-yard touchdown runs. I mean, like it happens occasionally, but we don't have elite speed at the position. That's not that's not what it is for us. You know what I mean? 
So it's yes, I mean you'd obviously like to see someone break one for eighty, but I think it's okay if we're consistently getting five to six as well. Well, the the longest run so far this year is twenty one yards. Yeah, you want that's to be longer that's, than that. I, there's not probably many teams in the country that don't have one longer than that so far this year. Yeah, I mean, but that's just how, kind of the nature of what our running backs are. You know, you just have to live with that. I mean, I think that's okay. Not not a lot of guys that play a lot are trying to avoid contact. They're trying to punish you. Um, if Michael Atkins does keep working his way into getting more snaps, I think he's a guy that maybe could have one of those long runs. But we'll see if they get gain his trust back. All right. Wyndon Buff asked, have you heard any feedback slash talk on how the co-offense coordinator situation is panning out? Yeah, I've you, you hear that it's gone as well as it could possibly go. And it just it goes back to, again, kind of a refreshing thing. And some of the things we heard in preseason have really shown themselves in the game. And that and in this instance, it's that the yin and yang of Lindgren and Cheverini and their personalities just complement each other really mm-hmm. well. Yeah, no, I mean, I think after three games, <laughs> offense has certainly not been the issue. Uh, you would have liked to have handled the quarterback change a little bit better, but, you know, that's adversity is the first time it's really happened this year offensively, and you work through it and you learn. Um, I feel like they got a little bit st- uh, stagnant allowing him to make plays. If you want to try to win the game, you have to take some chances. Uh, worst case scenario is you lose, and I think that's... You know, we were already in a position behind the eight ball with Montez coming in anyway. So I would like to give him a little more uh, leash moving forward if we need to use him. Yeah, they're averaging 500 yards on the dot uh, through the first three games. Sandbuff asked, after a tough test at Michigan, what do you think are the weakest parts of CU's football team? What can be done to improve them? What do you think? Um... I guess outside containment right now is the mm-hmm. biggest. We talked about this before the season. I was concerned about our ability to get to the quarterback. We've seen that a little bit. Um, they're not going to be. They're not going to have a huge amount of sacks. Uh, the, the inside guys are doing a good job getting into the backfield, but you'd like to see a few more of those Cheeto type plays where you're causing fumbles. Um, besides that, I mean, I don't see a whole lot of gigantic well, holes. I'm I not going to say punter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, what about but, field goals and uh, kickoffs going forward? Well, now, yeah, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. I mean, no, I think I think, com- I, I think I think you need more. to brace yourself, Tyler. <laughs> well, I think they're just going to go for it more, which is a weakness that you have to do that, though. Yeah, I guess. Well, and we'll see. I mean, Chris Graham is a guy that I mean, we weren't terrible on kickoff coverage last year, so I'm not going to totally freak out, but it's not great. Yeah, Chris Graham said this week very confidently that he feels good from 55 yards and in. No, I don't feel <laughs> confidently in Chris Graham 55 yards and in, but. I like that he feels confident because you talk to uh, kickers and punters, and a lot of it is what's going on upstairs. He so. does not get the ball up. Yeah. You watch him. He just doesn't. Diego kicks the ball 20 yards farther than he does. It's just a fact. I'd say anything, anything outside of 40, we should just be going for it. There, uh, is a honestly. Kick, there is a kicking competition. Davis Price, freshman, who knows? He's a walk-on. Um, I the, the practices have been mostly closed aside from three preseason practices, so I don't even honestly know. Yeah, I mean, they bring the guys out at halftime to kick, and I've never seen him actually kick when they come out there, so I don't know what they have him doing. He was really good with his kickoffs in high school. Uh, Maybe he could handle that role, and then Chris Graham would just worry about being able to somehow consistently hit 35 and in. If he can do that, I think CU fans will be fine. I don't think they're expecting him to go in there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Diego is the biggest loss. I mean, he did miss a field goal in that game, but... He was pretty good so far this year, and especially on kickoffs. He's, he was a weapon for us. Buff Nick wants to know which players do you think will be getting more snaps slash extended roles as the season progresses? What light bulbs are most likely to come on? Well, we just kind of talked about, you know, the specialists. That's obviously guys that are going to see more of an ex- expanded role. Uh, outside linebacker, those three guys follow mm-hmm. Hasselback, Shaver, yeah. whoever steps up there. Um Hagler played some and didn't look horrible. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. He didn't look horrible. I don't don't think we were really overmatched except for the fact that Michigan brought all the pressure they needed because they didn't trust our offense to make big play. So, I mean, you can blame the offensive line for that, but when you're five guys and they're bringing eight or nine, there's going to be some dudes who are unblocked. That's just how the numbers work. So, yeah, I mean. You know which guy I'd like to see have an expanded role? Dylan Keeney. He's yeah. got a skill set that you that you can use to your advantage, in, in, especially in the red zone. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if they're not going to use Irwin, they definitely made him a blocker. You got to get Keeney out there. 
Uh, he's a big dude. I mean, people talk about how skinny he is. He's not that skinny anymore. He's looking more and more like an, like a big-time tight end. So, yeah, I mean, you think it's about time we start using him. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's you, you never know who, who's going to step up and make plays. But I, Donovan I do, Lee, I think, is another. Yeah, or Kyle Evans, one of those two. They got, they got to get more guys going in the running game. I think they're not using that enough right now. Yeah. I'm trying to think, kind of rack my brain through other positions. Um, Sean Irwin has not played a whole bunch in terms of being in the past game, but that seems more like just kind of a conscious scheme yeah. thing that they've gone towards versus him not playing well, obviously. Yeah, I mean, Afo's obviously, I and mean, he's start, starting now um, over Ryan Moeller at safety, so they're using him less in nickel. Uh, so I don't know if people have realized really how much he's played so far this year. I think you're going to continue to see that happen. For a couple of years, my answer to this was always get George Frazier the ball more yeah, often. Yeah, he's killing me. He's killing me right now. He needs come to, on, George. He needs to come back and have a have a nice play. Yeah, dude, he's he struggled in that game. Two huge mistakes. All right, let's get into your power Pac-12 power rankings, Tyler. All right, let's, let's go reverse order. Yeah, reverse order. We can't can't screw this up again. <laughs> All right, Washington State, you got a W. We're real proud of you. <laughs> Beat somebody who's good. Um, Oregon State seems like they haven't played any games yet this year. <laughs> they did beat. It's Idaho where they State. played like the first night of college football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they played two games. They played Idaho State this weekend. Uh, I think it was thirty-seven to seven. So you have to feel good about how we looked in comparison to them. I think it was twenty to zero at halftime. So you have to feel like we're probably going to be a double-digit favorite at home in that game, we which is so. <laughs> it's yep. been a while since that's happened. Um, so that to me, you know, maybe not quite as bad as last year, but still a way out there. Arizona, number 10. Okay. Um, they're not great. That's all I really have to say about what they've done so far this year. They have been really unimpressive to me. Uh, USC, number 9. I don't know what I don't know what you got to do to uh, get them going, but it's been ugly so far. Now, you did say before we started recording, I asked you about you uh, have a connection out there at USC. Those, those rumors. Yeah, yeah that's not true. Come on. If the coach got punched in the face by a 300-pound guy, you would know, okay? He's, that's, you're not hiding that from anyone. So there's, there's trouble out there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, obviously they're struggling. They're one and two. They don't deal with that very often. But, uh, no, he did not get punched in the face. Um, I have Cal at eight. It was a great win, Texas, but I, I still am a little skeptical on how good Texas is overall. Uh, but that was, you know, not, not a win we expected Cal to have, so thanks for the Pac-12 boost. Respect. But if, they, if were, you... they were ugly in the first two games, so I didn't move them up that far. What do you think the over-under is going to be when Cal plays Oregon? One billion. I don't know. Arizona State and uh, who do they play this week? Arizona State plays... Da, 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 da. They play uh, Cal. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. So that Arizona State-Cal game is also going to be like 71-64. to 64. The over-under for the Texas game with Cal was 81 and Oh, a it's going to be higher than that. And, yeah. This game, I bet. Dude, there's going to be a lot of points scored in that game. That could be fun. They've given up 119 points through three games. <laughs> and they're 2-1. and one. Yeah. <laughs> They score a lot, too. All right, I have Arizona State at number seven. That was They should have lost to UT San Antonio this weekend. That was an ugly football game. That was terrible. Uh, we were kind of watching that while we were out Friday night in Michigan. Like, what the hell is going on in this game? Um. Uh, number six, I have Oregon. Um, lost in Nebraska. I have them basically tied with the next group. I felt our loss was better than theirs. So I have Colorado five. I'll take our loss at Michigan over theirs at Nebraska. Um, I think people were more impressed with how we played than how Oregon played nationally. And I think if this was neutral site and we were both healthy, I honestly think we might be favored. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Um, I have Utah at four. That kind of speaks to the weakness of the league right now, in my opinion. Um, they're not great by any stretch. Um, so I, I don't really see them being overly dominant in the Pac-12. Uh, they've looked you know, good enough, but have not really been crazy impressive in any of the three of their games so far. Um, I have UCLA at three. I, I honestly still think they're a pretty good football team. Uh, if they had won that Texas A&M game, um, the Pac-12 would be getting a little more respect right now. So... We'll see how that plays out. I have Washington at two. They've been really impressive so far, but haven't played anybody. And then Stanford, I have at one. I had them winning Pac-12 in the preseason. Uh, they looked great against uh, USC, dominated the entirety of the game. 
Christian McCaffrey is a total boss. Uh, their upcoming stretch. Did we talk about this on the pod last week? I think briefly, yeah. Yeah, they have they had USC. Now they have UCLA. Then they play Washington State, Washington, and uh, I think Oregon in a five game stretch, which is just insane. Uh, so we'll know pretty quick um, whether or not they're in the national championship picture because if they run through those five games, there is no way they shouldn't be ranked in the top two. So we'll see how it works out for them. Yeah, September 30th, you got to set your DVR for Stanford-Washington. That should be Yeah, that's game. pretty much the north, I think, right there. Good stuff, Tyler. A little more discussion before we sign off here. i got to give kudos to a player that I don't think has gotten a lot of recognition that he deserves this year, and he's leading the team in tackles right now. Kenneth Olobode. He's played some really good football this season. Michigan picked a click. Let's go. There you go. Good job. Yeah, no, he's been great so far, honestly. Um has not looked overmatched like he did at times last year physically. Uh, getting into the backfield, making big-time plays. Almost had another pick in the Michigan game. Um, yeah, he's played great. Um, hopefully it continues because we really needed one of those guys to step up and be the leader of the defense and linebacker. And he's, he's been the guy so far, definitely. Mike McIntyre made the comment when he was a sophomore, Kenneth Olobode is really freaking good. It was just a little premature. Like, yeah, got, yeah. you know, if, if he hadn't kind of raised the expectations for Kenneth Olobode, I think people might have been a little bit more patient yeah. with his development. Uh, but it's it certainly shown now what Mike McIntyre saw a couple of years ago. Jay McIntyre is tied for first in the conference in punt return yards through three weeks, uh, ranks second in terms of average. Uh, we kind of told everybody this was going to happen, but I don't think anybody just, really believed us. You just said exactly what I was going to say. I was just going to go, <coughs> told you. That was all I was going to say. Uh, yeah. There so was still keep, telling me, keep telling me about how he's a bear catcher, everybody. Fair catch his way to a tune of 67 yards against Michigan, which is, you know, better than Nelson Spruce did pretty much his entire career. So and uh, let's put that one to bed. Mike McIntyre was feeling some questions about their decision to use the punt shield formation. What do you think about this? The the now the he explained it that the benefit there is if it's properly executed, you're of course getting your coverage guys down the field quite a bit quicker than you are in a traditional punt formation. Well, what what are your thoughts here? I hate it. He's Kenny is a good enough punter to put the ball in the air in the position where the guy has to fair catch it. We saw them do it one time in the game. Fair, cat, fair, fair caught the ball, and it was probably a 45-yard punt, and they got zero yards on it. Why, just, you're making it more difficult than it needs to be. Just punt the ball. Let's move on with the day. It definitely appears that that punt formation, there's less room for error because of you know the formation. and Yeah, you miss one block. And this was not a one-game issue. They had issues with it last year. Uh, yeah. It's maybe some. Do you think it's something difficult to to change on the fly in the middle of the season? Or I don't. I mean, maybe uh, I, I, the rollout thing is what kills me more than anything, though. I mean, if you want to do the punch shield and still have him kick normal, that's great. But he's not a great rollout punter. I don't know why we're trying to make him one. It hasn't worked out. It's never gonna work out. Just let him punt the ball. What was your reaction <laughs> on the punt, the rugby punt, where Peppers returned it? When the ball was in the air, you knew it was, it was trouble gone. from the beginning, right? Yeah, it was 100% gone. Everybody I was seeing in a row was like, all right, well, here we go. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. All right, we talked about the depth chart there being a three-way tie between Christian Shaver, NJ Follow, and Taron Hasselback. You said uh, if it was up to you, you'd roll with with, with Hasselback. That no, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I would roll with him. I just feel like he hasn't been talked about at all, um, and he has been impressive to me in the games that he's actually gotten some snaps. Um, I would like to see NJ be that guy. I think he has the most upside. I'm not a huge fan of Christian Shaver. I think most people know that by now. Uh, but we'll see what happens. I would like to see Taron get more pub than he has. But either way, I don't think he'd feel great. I mean, Derek McCartney, he only had one tackle in that game, but it was, uh, and he also had a touchdown. <laughs> so he's he's just really good in run sport. You could see as soon as he went out of the game, Michigan totally went right at the guy that replaced him and was successful the rest of the way. So we're going to miss him for sure. Well, we're recording this Wednesday. I'm headed out to Eugene uh, tomorrow morning. I'm actually taking my daughter with me. I have uh, family out there. My father, stepmother, and sister all live out there. So this is without question the most hectic week of the year for me because I feel like I've got to get five days worth of work in three. And then I've got to get all her stuff ready to lug out there. And so it's it's quite the journey, but it's 
and then the the two hour drive out to Eugene. But this trip, I think I'm actually going to get to see the sun, which will be kind of a nice change. Uh, the last three or four times I've gone out there, it's been literally raining the entire time. Go sun. We saw very little sun in Michigan as well, I must say. Although, but game time is beautiful. You ever been out to Portland? No. That's one. Put I, that on I your want, list. Yeah, uh, but definitely go. Northwest. Yeah, definitely make sure you go up there in the summer because. The weather gets kind of gloomy, as everybody knows, uh, later in the year. I will say, I think Portland might be the most underrated food city. And because, you know, you go across the country and you start driving around, it's the same crap. It's Walmart, McDonald's, blah, 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 all the same chains everywhere. But in Portland, in the city proper, they have all these zoning restrictions. So the buildings are weren't allowed to be like big warehouses. As a result of that, you didn't have all these big commercial companies coming in. You have... Like legit, like original stores and restaurants and stuff. It's kind of refreshing to go out there, but uh, the hipster crowd out there is, <laughs> is sprawling. It is uh, a little out of control for sure. Not really my jam, but I'm down for good food, so maybe I can survive for a week. Uh, you know, I will say this about hipsters: they're generally pretty harmless. At least, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, it's a different. I have nothing further to add. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you are you excited about this game? I, I mean, yeah. What are your emotions? Like? Uh, I mean, you know, Zeffo being healthy, I would have predicted a win. I can pretty much guarantee it right now. I would have. Um, I said before the year that I thought this was the most winnable road game outside of Arizona um, on our pod, and I've felt that way throughout just because their defense and we've watched that. I mean. This is about as confident as you're going to feel going into it. I and mean, it's just crazy to think about how far we've come and they've fallen, <laughs> you know, two years ago. Be like, if we score a touchdown, we're calling it a win two years ago. And now it's like, hey, you know, we have a chance to win this game. So what it's pretty em- cool. When Embry, whenever they traveled up there under Embry, there was like a ridiculous spread. It was in the 40s. I want to say somewhere around 45. They, by the middle of the second quarter, they had covered that spread. Yeah. Don't miss you, John. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> On that note, I guess we'll, <laughs> we'll sign off. But uh, definitely stay tuned. Like I said, I'll be out there. So check out my, my uh, post-game content. I've been enjoying doing these weekly pods with you, Tyler. It's, uh, yeah. it's nice. I felt like in the past we would go for like almost two hours because we had so much stuff we just had to talk about. It's nice to go week to week. And, again, appreciate all of you for submitting your questions to the mailbag. Thanks again for tuning in. <laughs>